Today on Encounter. What is the answer to skepticism? What is the answer to doubt? What is the answer to disbelief? The revelation of Jesus Christ as the Christ of Calvary and the Christ of victory. From Olford Ministries International and the Stephen Olford Center for Biblical Preaching in Memphis, Tennessee, this is Encounter, a radio ministry of expository Bible preaching worldwide for more than 40 years. Now, with the prayer that you will come face to face with the living Lord Jesus Christ, here are father and son team, Dr. Stephen Olford and Dr. David Olford, to introduce today's Encounter. Have you ever known a doubting Thomas? Thomas is one of the 12 disciples about which we know very little. But what we do know is very important. This melancholic, pessimistic, despondent, doubting disciple was lifted out of his skepticism when he encountered the risen, living Christ. Like the rest of the disciples, most of whom would have been nominated for the least likely to succeed, his faith soared when he came face to face and embraced his living Lord. How about you? Friend, we're happy you're with us today, and from the headquarters of Olford Ministries International, we welcome you to this Encounter broadcast. This is a listener-supported ministry of expository Bible preaching. And today, we conclude our current series called Changed Lives with a sermon about a man who was skeptical. And now stay tuned as my father, Dr. Stephen Olford, brings today's message from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29, a skeptical man who became a spiritual man. John 20, and at verse 25, But Thomas said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas, like many other of the disciples, is not mentioned very much in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Thomas was a skeptic. Now, I use that word quite deliberately, not flippantly, nor glibly, for a skeptic and a flippant person can't coexist. Etymologically and seriously, a skeptic is a person who says that I'm not going to believe until I'm given evidence to base my belief, my belief upon. In other words, evidence must determine my conviction. And Thomas was a skeptic. And tonight I want us to trace the history of this man. First of all, the history of skepticism in the life of Thomas. Thomas saith unto him, and to the disciples, I will not believe. Actually, that's a double negative. I will on no account believe. We're immediately driven to ask the question, when did this skepticism start? How did it develop? What was its history? It was partially intellectual. I will on no account believe, he said. Now, as we've pointed out already, a skeptic is a person who demands certain evidence before he will believe. And this was true of Thomas. And as you follow him through the gospel story, you find this again and again. For instance, take the illustration in John chapter 14. Well, you remember the Savior had been talking about going to heaven. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know. And the way ye know, Thomas saith unto him, Master, we know not where thou goest, and how can we know the way? Here was the master speaking specifically of the father's house and the many mansions, and declaring that according to his teaching, they knew the way. And Thomas, is, Thomas comes right in with a contradiction and says, Master, we don't know the way, and how can we know the way? Lord Jesus, you're talking about a location. You're talking about heavenly mansions. We can neither locate it, and we know nothing about the way. Your terms, Master, are intellectually incomprehensible. But I want to state quite categorically that there is absolutely nothing unreasonable about our faith. There's absolutely nothing incompatible with an intellectual approach to that which God has revealed in the Scriptures. Granted that ultimately we cannot discover God. Granted that ultimately philosophy is not the answer to your soul's salvation. Granted that philosophy starts from earth and works upward, whereas Christianity is the revelation of God breaking into time and revealing in terms that we can understand that God has met man's need. But to say that to become a Christian, I've got to commit intellectual suicide is not true. It's just not true. Intellectually, then, he had a problem. His skepticism had an intellectual history. But his skepticism also had a constitutional history. I will on no account believe, he said. You see, the problem of Thomas was not only in his brain, it was in his liver as well. And there are some people who are just this way constituted. Yes, his problem was partially intellectual, partially constitutional, partially circumstantial. He said, I will on no account believe. Why did he say that? Why did he say that? Why? Because of the events that had taken place. Dear Thomas, bless his heart, all his ambitions, all his aspirations concerning this one Jesus Christ, all, I repeat, of his aspirations and his ambitions had been nailed to a Roman gibbet and buried in a Jewish grave. His world had come to an end. And the sight of those nails in the Savior's hands, the murder on Mount Golgotha, just relived and relived itself in his mind and his heart. Those circumstantial evidences just overwhelmed him, and he couldn't see beyond it. He couldn't see beyond it. And he said, I can't believe, I can't believe, unless you can give me evidence personified in a wounded Savior who actually has hands that are pierced and a side that is pierced. I will not on any account believe. The history of skepticism in the life of Tom. But my friend, our message is a skeptical man who became a spiritual man. So we move on to consider this man not only in terms of the history of his skepticism, but the tyranny of his skepticism. He said, I will on no account believe. And you know, the history of skepticism is such that if it's not overcome, if it's not conquered, and especially if it's not defeated by our tremendous Savior of whom we're speaking tonight, it becomes a tyranny. It becomes a pitiless tyranny. And I don't know how many people I've met who've been the victims of pitiless tyranny. And they're plagued by it. Day and night, they can't sleep. 
because they're serious-minded as Thomas was, because they're not glib or flippant, but determined to know the truth, but some or other cannot believe, they just become the victims of unspeakable tyranny. I want us to consider this in Thomas's life. In the first place, he suffered the tyranny of unnecessary despondency. He said this, he said this, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Reliving all the events of Calvary and seeing again in his mind's eye his precious Lord, mangled upon a cross. He just went into utter despondency. He didn't want to meet anybody. He didn't want to come to a meeting. He didn't want to come to a prayer meeting. He didn't want to attend church. I know the other disciples are going, but I just don't want to see anybody, and I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just utterly despondent. The tyranny of unnecessary despondence. He couldn't see beyond Calvary. He couldn't see beyond the cross. And the tyranny of unnecessary despondency brought him absolutely into despair. But not only that, there was the tyranny of unnecessary disbelief disbelief. The Lord Jesus looked to him later and said, be not faithless, but believing. Here was a man whose despondency had actually led him into disbelief. Remember that Mary had brought a message back saying, I've met Jesus Christ personally. He's alive. I've actually touched his person. Remember, my friends, the two disciples on the way to Emmaus had actually met Jesus Christ and they'd come rushing back to the city of Jerusalem saying, he's alive. He's alive. Remember that the other ten disciples had actually seen the risen Lord a week before, and the combined evidence of a personal encounter with Christ had been shared with Thomas. But you know, Mary didn't satisfy him. The two disciples from Emmaus didn't convince him. And the combined witness of the ten disciples just did not satisfy him. I wonder if you're like that tonight. I wonder if you see in Thomas yourself the tyranny of skepticism. The tyranny of unnecessary despondency. The tyranny of unflinching and unrelenting disbelief. The tyranny of unspiritual demands. He said, except I thrust my hand into his side, except I put my fist literally into those wounds, I will not believe. I will on no account believe. You show me a person who's come under the tyranny of skepticism and I'll show you a person who makes the most unspiritual demands. They demand things that normally they would never demand in any other area. But simply because they're not prepared to believe, simply because they're too proud to bow to the evidence which is overwhelming, simply because they won't break in repentance and acknowledge that other men have had the experience of Christ, simply they won't accept the terms of knowing Christ in a real sense. They make unspiritual demands. But I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. We now look at the mastery of skepticism, the conquest of skepticism in the life of Thomas. For I want you to notice over against, I will on no account believe the confession of Thomas as he looked into the face of Jesus Christ and said, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Now, how did this come about? What is the answer to skepticism? What is the answer to doubt? What is the answer to disbelief? Here is the first point, the revelation of Jesus Christ the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we read these words 
But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Jesus appeared to Thomas, and he appeared to him in a twofold way, as the Christ of Calvary and the Christ of victory. He appeared to him first as the Christ of Calvary, looking into the face of Thomas, as if he'd overheard him speak, and he had. He said, now then, Thomas, come right forward. Come right forward. You made a claim that you wouldn't believe until you met the evidences of Calvary. Here they are. Here are my hands pierced. Here is my side riven. Will you put your hand into my side? Will you thrust your hand into these wounds? Be not faithless, but believing. Listen, my friend, the facts of Calvary are as real today as they were 2,000 years ago. For anyone to say, I cannot believe that Jesus Christ was crucified at Calvary's cross is actually saying there isn't anything in the world that I can believe. For there is nothing more evident, there is nothing more historical, there is nothing more proof than the fact that Jesus Christ of Nazareth suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified and the third day rose again. The overwhelming evidence, not only of the word of God, the overwhelming evidence, not only of the history of 2,000 years, the overwhelming evidence of even the greatest critics of Christianity, to mention only two, the younger Pliny and Tacitus, the historian, who wrote about this and who attested the fact that Jesus Christ did suffer under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and rose again. But not only that, not only that, he appeared to him not only as the Christ of Calvary, he appeared to him as the Christ of victory, the Christ of victory. Jesus stood in the midst. Jesus stood in the midst. And I want to say there's something more real than seeing a person in flesh and blood right here tonight. Do you know what it is? That Jesus Christ is alive right here in the midst. And we've come to a point in scientific understanding where any scientist would tell you, I don't care how learned he is or how simple he is, that everything that we can't be seen, the very air I breathe in this room tonight, which keeps my lungs alive and the blood coursing through my veins, is unseen but real. The electricity that pours its life out through those bulbs is real. That light is only the reflection of it because it's honest. Jesus stood in the midst and said, I'm alive. I'm alive, Thomas. I'm the Christ of Calvary. I'm the Christ of victory. The revelation of Jesus Christ led to the dedication to Jesus Christ. For as he heard those words of the Savior, and as he saw not only the marks of Calvary, but the evidences of victory, out from his lips and from his heart came the greatest confession you'll find from Genesis through Revelation. He said, Thou art my Lord. Thou art my God. That's the greatest confession of faith that anyone can make. To acknowledge Christ as sovereign of your life, utterly undisputed, unrivaled sovereign of your life, and God of your life, is to bring you into living faith and victory in Christ. Yes, the revelation of Christ. Secondly, the dedication to Christ. And thirdly, 
the liberation in Christ. For the Saviour looked at him and said, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Although that has a much wider application than that which relates to Thomas immediately in this passage, there's no doubt about it that Thomas was caught up in the sweep and significance of it. What the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to him is, Thomas, I've had to come in person. I've had to come in flesh, as it were, and bones to make you believe. But I want to tell you the faith, the saving faith, the triumphant faith that's going to transform your life and make you a spiritual man is the faith that believed without seeing. And you know Thomas laid hold of that. Thomas laid hold of that. How do I know? How do I know? Because something tremendous happened to Thomas 50 days later. 50 days later. Now filled with the joy of a wonderful Savior risen from the dead, he was one of 120 who sat in that upper room and believed that Jesus Christ was going to do for him what he promised to do for all the other disciples. And it happened. And it happened. Because Jesus Christ was alive, unseen to natural eyes, but real to faith, yonder at the throne. Thomas believed with the others and something happened. The Holy Spirit filled his life. The Holy Spirit poured out, came into his life in all fullness and grace and anointing. And he went out with the rest and began to preach and became one of the greatest mysteries the church has ever known. Tradition tells us that he became the mystery to India. And to this very day, there's the church of St. Thomas. What Christ did for Thomas, he can do for you. If you're prepared tonight to bow to the revelation of Christ in his word, dedication to Christ, liberation in Christ, your skepticism can be turned into optimism and victory in spirituality. I say to you, just now your doubtings give all. Just now, reject him no more. Just now. Throw open the door. Let Jesus come in to your heart. Well, Dad, this has been a wonderful series, this Changed Lives series, and we've come to the end of it today, at least uh, the end of those we are airing at this time, and we've looked at a skeptical man who became a spiritual man. Let me ask you a question about uh, faith, and uh, this, of course, in relation to Thomas. When we demand to see, before we believe, what does that do to our faith? For one thing, it's a contradiction of faith, because what we see does not demand what I call faith, because it's plain, it's black and white. Faith takes us beyond the black and white to the unseen, the invisible, and the function of faith is really ultimately to take us over what we can see in black and white to what we can't see. Jesus finished his encounter with Thomas with these words, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that is where faith really comes into play. And uh, I know that that is very human. I want to see it in black and white. I want to see the figures. I want to see something concrete. But in a sense, we're contradicting ourselves because if we can see it, then we don't have to exercise faith. In dealing with this subject, I've always been impressed with the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And you have that questioning prophet. And someone out there might be saying, is it ever right to probe or to have questions about our faith and 
And uh, I would say yes, but there's a difference between a, a skeptical and a cynical approach and someone who is truly seeking for understanding, absolutely really seeking to have his questions answered. And uh, the prophet Habakkuk asked all sorts of questions and was very concerned. And yet he said, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. And the whole idea there is that he was waiting to hear God's response. And I think sometimes people are questioning, but they're not really wanting an answer. And yet, in that very context is born the greatest word of the Reformation, the just shall live by faith. We find it in Romans, and we find it in Galatians, and we find it in Hebrews. Mm. And that's exactly God's challenge to him. Absolutely. That he is to live by faith. And I think that ties in with our thrust today, this skeptical man who became a spiritual man. And thank you, Dad, for those comments and for that marvelous message as we have wrapped up our series. But today's message, A Skeptical Man Who Became a Spiritual Man, is available on cassette. And for a gift of any amount toward the ongoing of this ministry, we'll be happy to send it to you. The whole series, Change Lives, 12 Messages on Six Tapes is also available, and I know, Dad, that uh, you would encourage folks to get a hold of this series, not only for themselves, but to play in a Bible study setting or a small group. And I believe the materials will lead themselves directly to question and answers, which, of course, uh, the study leader should prepare ahead of time. Well, the series is Change Lives, and we trust that, uh, indeed, through this series, you will be encouraged in your Christian walk if you know the Lord and for those maybe who are still seeking that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ will be made real to you through his word and that indeed by his power and by the power of his Holy Spirit, you may know that change in your own life of coming to know him as uh, your Lord and Savior. Well, when you get in touch with us for that series, We'd love to send you a free catalog of other resources. And for just getting in touch with us, we want to send you our Lifeline leaflet called Yield All on how to live that life of surrender to the Lord. Yield All. And all that contact information will be given to you in just a few moments by our announcer. If you'd like to find out more about our ministry and the special events, especially our training institutes coming up in the near future, Look us up at olford.org. That's our website, olford, O-L-F-O-R-D, dot org. Well, I'm David Olford, and for my father and all of the staff at Olford Ministries International, I thank you for taking the time to listen today and for your support of this radio ministry. Thank you for standing with us financially. Your gift of any size plays an important role in the sustaining of this work. And you are on our hearts, so let us know how we should pray for you and how we could possibly be of help to you spiritually. And this week, let's be dedicated to the work of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, please stay tuned for information about how to contact us. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. 
That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot Borg. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which could also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.